0: These people's assessment was that they relied on their words, not the word of life. They, they relied on their works, not on the works of Christ. They, they relied on their theology, not theocentric lives. So for those of you who have uh, realized I was going through the book of James and, and been going through the book of James a little bit with you guys, but um, I, I, had a, I must admit I had a really heavy burden on my heart. Um, to preach from the Gospel of Matthew uh, today. To preach from the Gospel of Matthew. And my burden is that you may know Christ uh, truly, you may know Jesus truthfully, uh, that you may be with Him eternally. Um, and you've heard many times from people saying that w- one of the biggest lies that Satan has given into the world is that he make, makes you believe that he does not exist, that perhaps satan is only in the heavy metal nightclubs you know and heavy metal uh albums you know in their songs and 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 things like this and and he wants people to believe makes people believe that he does not exist and 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 i believe there's a greater deception than that uh that is sending people to hell as we will see jesus say uh in a minute and it's not outside it's not found on heavy metal albums. It's not found in nightclubs. It's not found in the mosque. It's not found amongst Buddhists outside. It's not found just in those who claim to be Christians. And we can see that they're not. People like Benny Hinn and Kefra Dollar. And all these people who preach another gospel. Yes, it might be found there a little bit. But this is found within the Christian Walls within a Christian realm. What is this deception that I'm burdened with? That people think they're saved when they're not. And people think that they're Christians when they're not. And people think they have faith when they do not. There is no talking of righteous living, no holy living. There is no sacrificial love, no service, no new directions, no new affections, no desires to follow Christ. There is no weeping over sin. There is no change of mind towards sin. There is no turning to God. There is no seeing yourself as Isaiah saw himself. When you face God, two things will happen. You will either break and change, or your heart will be hard. You cannot claim to know Christ and not be moved by that Christ. You say, but Ralph, I am born again. I say, Lord, I come to church. I do study. I respect Jesus. I know Jesus is Lord. I've been baptized. i come to youth. I did a prayer. I've just given offering. I study even with the elders. In actual fact, I go up to the elders and I show them what I've learned. And challenge the elders. Are you saying that I can know all these things? And I can come to church And I can lift up my hands and say, praise Jesus and not be saved. I'm here to tell you, my friends, I would not dare say that to you. But Jesus says that. I don't say that. Jesus said these very things. Jesus is in short ministry here on earth. He warned us about a lot of stuff about hypocrisy, Pharisees, blind leaders, people who think they know the truth, people who have little faith. He taught many things about repentance and and being judgmental, being angry and lying and many, many other wonderful things. But let me tell you, my friends, the greatest warnings Jesus gave was to understand what He will say to you in the last day. And this is not a warning of rebuke only to keep you where you are. This is Jesus' loving rebuke for those who are alive. It's a, if you cannot see the passion and the love and the mercy of God in this, you will never understand Christ. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Matthew chapter 7. And these are words and many people will rather never to read. Matthew 7, from verse 21, we read, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Just, I just before we move to that, we, we need to understand that this is You know, we hear many wonderful things and we are so grateful to the Lord of great preachers from the past and even today. We have people like Paul Washer, John MacArthur. We have people like Steve Lawson from the past. We remember George Whitfield. But let me tell you something. Out of all these preachers, even prince of preachers whom we call I went blank for a minute Spurgeon That ain't come close to this preacher and whatever sermons you've heard and said I heard a great sermon and you put it on Viber it does not come close to this sermon this is the greatest sermon ever preached from the greatest preacher who ever lived And it is Jesus Christ. So we will do well to take heed what Jesus has to say about the end of this sermon. Because Jesus, if you're in Matthew, you will see that He begins this way. There is no introduction. Here's His introduction. And from verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Jesus' introduction to His sermon That you need to be broken. You need to come to Him and you need to acknowledge your need for Him. Verse 2 says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. His introduction is that you will weep over your sins. That you will see yourself completely undone and bankrupt and see God for His glory and you will say, I am a man of unclean lips. And then you will see yourself and you will come to Him humbly, weeping, ashamed and hungry and then thirsty for righteousness. And then what you will see out of that as Jesus will go on is that you will be merciful. Your life will change. Your life will change from anger and hatred to be a merciful, forgiving person. And you will be pure in heart. You will be a peacemaker. And you will be the salt of the earth for Jesus' sake, just like our beloved friend who is in prison right now. What Jesus is saying to all these people in the greatest, greatest sermon ever preached, as He comes and He brings it to this wonderful application, He starts off in chapter 7, verse 13. It says, enter through the narrow gate. Here it is. Here's the application. I'm beginning to give you the application. You must enter through one gate. You want to be my child? Then you must enter through this gate. Come in. Don't look at it. Because wide and broad is the one, that gate, that leads to destruction. And many are entering this gate. Think of this. Jesus had not crowd a crowd only. He had crowds, plural. Jesus had thousands of people watching him. Do not fool yourself when you watch these little Christian DVDs about Jesus that Kurong sells that Jesus was humbly walking around and says, blessed are the poor in spirit. He was not. If there was 50,000 people and he did not have a mic, Jesus was loud and he was stern so that the 50,000 person could hear him. We have a completely misunderstanding of when we read these words of Jesus. And he invites people. And why does he invite people? invite people? For he wants them to be saved. And then he goes on to explain that beware of these false prophets who come to you in sheep clothing. For inwardly they are ravenous wolves, and then he goes on to explain that you're going to know these people by their fruit. And now he brings everything from from the prophets and, and from the teachers to the hearers, who are thousands and thousands of people listening to him. And he says, Not every one of you are going to enter the kingdom of God. I've got three things I want to share with you this morning. I've named this sermon, Jesus' Warning Against False Profession. Three things, and perhaps an application. One, Jesus' assessment to those who profess Him. Jesus' assessment. Two, we're going to look at the people's own assessment of themselves. And then we're going to see Jesus' verdict to their profession. And of course, the last one, we will look at Jesus' grace. Jesus' grace. So look at verse 21 and 22a. Let me just break this down for you and help you to understand. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God. Verse 22 many will say to me on that day, who are these people? He's not talking to people who go to a heavy metal nightclub. Right? He's not talking to Muslims. He's not talking to Hindus or atheists or Buddhists or Jews who reject Christ or Scientologists. No. He's talking to those who call him Lord. I'm pretty sure that every one of us here today can say we call Jesus Lord, right? And if Jesus had thousands of people, he was talking to them and he had them in mind. You who say to me, Lord, Lord. By the way, the word say, it is continuous. Do you know how dangerous that is to understand? They didn't just say it on that day. They said it while they walked planet earth. That Jesus was Lord. I want you to pay attention to that. They said it while they were on earth. Jesus had in mind in his sermon for those who would hear and those who would claim to know him and those who were claiming to follow him. They claimed, as we would say today, to be born again. They claimed to know Christ. They professed Jesus as their Lord. It says so in verse 22. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Is it not? I don't see any Hindus or Muslims or any other religion for that matter prophesying or doing anything in the name of Jesus but those who claim to know Jesus. Now we can easily point out at Benny Hinn and all these false prophets. Maybe he's talking about them. No, he was talking to the hearers. To the hearers who were following him. He did not have Benny Hinn in mind. However, he's all-knowing. But he had the people who were listening to him in mind at that point. This is scary stuff. This is one of the most horrifying and terrible words of Jesus and they can be the most comforting if you understand them. Are you saying that we can get so close and yet not be saved? Well, the Bible says you can have a form of godliness and denying the power thereof. One may look like a Christian, talk like a Christian, walk like a Christian, be within the Christian realm and according to Jesus still be damned. Now, let's understand this. You can say Jesus is Lord. You can have the correct understanding. Jesus never rebuked him for calling him Lord. Now, Lord can mean, biblically speaking, it can mean that you're saying to somebody, I have high respect for you. It's a biblical thing. And to say Jesus is Lord on that day, you are acknowledging Jesus' deity. You are acknowledging that He is a Son of God. And by the way, when you're facing Him and you're calling Him Lord, you are acknowledging that He is the judge as well. You are acknowledging Him as Lord. Yahweh. That's frightening. That is so scary to understand. You are coming on that day and expecting To enter the kingdom. But Jesus says, Not everyone who says that I am Lord will enter into the kingdom of heaven. They had biblical doctrine. They understood it. They called him Lord. But as we looked at James last time, even the demons know that. Even the demons understand right doctrine. But their fate is hell. You can know and you can study and you can look at all the little Greek words, if you like, about what it means to be Lord. And I'm not going to go into it. We don't have time for it. And still not enter the kingdom of God. You can study all these things. Now, you might be thinking, but aren't we supposed to call Jesus Lord as Christians? Are we not supposed to believe that Jesus is Lord and confess Him to the world and believe that He's the Son of God and believe that He's the only way, to truth, and the life and believe that He's Emmanuel who came and lived amongst us, God amongst us? Are we not supposed to believe these things? The answer is yes, you are. But not everyone who comes to Jesus and says these things is truly born again. Say, man, I feel like I'm I'm damned if you damned if you do, damned if you don't. That's not true. You're only damned if you don't surrender your life to God. You're only damned if you're a hypocrite. You're only damned if you pretend to be a Christian. You're only damned, and it's going to be revealed in the way that you live your life. Let me tell you, most of you who like to talk about the reformers, and I do, and we speak about you know the Reformation and all the Puritans and stuff. Let's name a couple, you know, maybe, you know, uh, Jonathan Edwards and um, Martin Luther and, and people like this. Would you agree that before they were born again, if you asked them, do you believe in one God, they would have said yes. Do you believe in the Holy Trinity? They would have said yes. Do you believe that you're a sinner headed for hell? They would have said yes. Do you believe that Jesus is the only way? They would have said yes. Do you believe in justification? They would have said yes. They would have said yes to all the doctrinal things. And yet all of them, until they saw Jesus Christ and their depravity, were still headed for hell. And if they died in their sins, if it was God's sovereign choice, sovereign rule, and, and in His merciful, uh, well, He saved them, but in His wrath will kill them there and then, They might have said to Jesus, but we did stuff in your name. Why? Because Martin Luther, he taught at a seminary for years before he was saved. And he called Jesus Lord. Along with all the saints. But he called Jesus Lord. And he understood that. That's a scary thing. And Jesus says, on that day in verse 22, Many, many. A great number. People in abundance. Many are gonna to go to the broad way, to the broad gate, to the broad road that leads to destruction. And many of those, those people who have followed the wrong gate, they will come on that day. And they think they're Christians. Many in abundance. I was spending time with some of the brothers last night really quickly, and we did a quickly a Google search. And if you combine all the religious, supposedly Christians, Catholics and whatever, all those, and we put them all together and we came up with some 30 odd percent of the world's population being Christian. right? But out of them, we worked out somewhat that the evangelical Christians are some like 8 percent and we rounded it off being really nice to 10 percent. Well if Jesus is talking to the evangelical ones who are those who actually are active in the things of God because we're going to see that and that's 10% and if we take out if Jesus says many it has to be at least 50% that are gone. Right? So we'll take out maybe another one or two. You've got only 3% of whoever claims to be a Christian will enter the kingdom of God. That is frightening. According to what Jesus is saying. And who are these people? It could be you. I don't know that. It could be me. If we don't understand what the gospel says. It's not just a a type of people. It's young. It's old. It is someone who is in the faith of one year, two years, three years, or 50 years. It's a a woman. or, Or it's a man. It's a young woman or a young man. This is Jesus' assessment. And he's saying, not all of you who bear my name on your lips whilst you are on earth, while you're here, will enter into the kingdom. And we will look at that, what it means, only those who do the will of the Father later. That's the first point. That's a quick, brief assessment of Jesus that I could go on, perhaps for... One sermon on that alone. What Jesus' assessment is to people. Why do I stress this? Because it doesn't matter what you're saying. I am a Christian. You can say you're a Christian and have faith all day long. Jesus has to assess you on His terms. You come to Christ on His terms, not yours. You don't have faith in faith. You don't have hope in hope. You don't believe in yourself. Stop believing in yourself. That's a lie from the devil. Everything that is in man is wicked and sinful. And if you want to believe in yourself, then believe it. Because your heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can know it? Stop believing that you're a Christian. Because you say you're a Christian. That's the first point. Now watch as we look at the second point. The people's own assessment to this. Their own assessment. Look at verse 22. This is amazing. Many will say to me on that day, we'll look at that day, what it means in a minute. But here's what they say. Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name? Uh, did, did, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do many miracles in your name? I mean, do you see what's happening here? Jesus is, assessing, uh, uh, is looking at them and is saying, this is what you're like. And you won't enter. But they come to Jesus and say, but look at me, Lord. Oh, are you serious? Are you sure you got the right person here? Look at my works. Look at the labor of my hands. I am a Christian. You know why I'm a Christian? Because I did it in your name. Look, you've made a mistake, Jesus. Uh, Maybe you're not talking about me. Maybe you're talking about someone else. Let me explain myself to you, Jesus. And I'm going to prove to you in my own assessment. I'm going to prove to you that I am a Christian. And you will accept me. Doesn't it sound arrogant? Doesn't it sound mean, do you think? Jesus? Let them, this is what they'll say. They will not prophesy in your name, Jesus. And, and we did all this stuff in your name. I mean, we did all these things not in our own name. We did it in yours. Are you saying that we did all these things and these things are useless? Are you telling me? I was under the impression that doing these things proved that I am a Christian. I was under the impression that... This proves my Christianity. Now, prophesying, when it's talking about prophesying here, let me quickly tell you, it can be prophesying for the future, but I believe in this context it's more simply saying preaching and teaching, being a witness for the Word of God. But the question remains, why are they coming to Jesus on that day and now saying to Jesus, listen, buddy, we did this in your name. How can you deny us entrance? You should deny the Muslims. You, know, you should deny all them. No, no. They're already... So if we figure out there's 30% Christians, it really only, only 10% of evangelical Christians, well, we can say truthfully, right here, right now, then 90% right now of the human race is going to hell if Jesus came back. The whole 90% of them. Then out of that 10%, there's only a small portion of them that will enter. Well, we want to concentrate on those guys. We did all these things and all these miracles. But Jesus is not, he's not rebuking them for that. But as we'll see in a minute, He's rebuking them for practicing lawlessness. He's rebuking them for practicing lawlessness. Now, casting out demons just really quickly, it could have been done in many ways. I don't want to get too much into it. It could have been done, you know, satanically or indirectly by God, directly by God, or the plain lies within miracles, you know, just false miracles, you know, like Benny Hinn. Someone went to one of Benny Hinn's uh, crusades uh, and he said, I was healed, I was blind, now I see, and he got into his car and he drove, that kind of miracle, right? So he was, uh, you didn't get the joke. Okay, that's okay. But it was truth, by the way. It's actually the truth that he already had eyes, just in case you guys missed that. He had eyes already, because he had a car outside. It wasn't his dog driving it. So it was a false miracle. Okay, there was this pretend. So but here's the thing though. They're coming to Christ on their own account. They're coming to Jesus on their own works. they come. they are delusioned that because they named the name Jesus jesus they were saved they were saved yeah. you know even the lord if you want to know about the miracles by the way just talking to one of you guys this week i remember who but you know when he sent out the 12 disciples one of them was judas and he gave him the power to do miracles and wonders you know and 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 the amazing thing about this is that what they are claiming is the very things that jesus did himself while he walked on planet earth you know um, cast out demons and 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 all these things So we need to understand that just because we teach the word of God and just because we we do all these things in the name of Jesus, according to Jesus, not me, uh, you're not necessarily a Christian. And they came before Jesus on that day and they are boasting in their own glory. This is self-reliance. This is thinking that you're saved and expecting Jesus to say, by the way, oh, yeah, you did. You know, their rhetorical question They're expecting an answer, a positive answer, for Jesus to say, well done, good and faithful servant. But instead, they got an eternal negative answer. The problem is not the casting out demons in the name of Christ or doing miracles in the name of Christ or preaching the word of Christ, but self-reliance, self-righteousness. There is no new nature. There is no new... New desires. Jesus, how can you not see what I've done? How, how can you reject me, Jesus? We did this in your name. Weren't you glorified when I did that? They had hope in themselves. They built the foundation of Christianity upon their own delusions, their own works, their own words. They gave Jesus lip service. What gave them assurance? Themselves. Even though they said to the Lord, You are Lord. But the Lord was never the Lord of their lives. You understand that? You get that, right? I pray, my beloved friends, this morning that as we look at the next point, that the verdict that Jesus brings forth will not be you. That you're not trying to earn the grace of God. That you're not sitting here, week in, week out, understanding really good theological stuff from your elders. And you tick the box. And you enjoy the theological questions, the theological answers. And you even have a fellowship about theology. And you talk of all the words that mean this and that means that. The active, the present, the passive, the tense and all those wonderful Greek words. And your heart is never moved for Christ. You walk in cold. You get a fuzzy feeling from the word. And you walk out cold. And for the rest of the week, you need to put blankets on to keep you warm. Rather than Christ. That's their own assessment of themselves. It's not Jesus's. It's their own assessment. Well, here's what Jesus is going to say to them. Here's our third point. Here's what Jesus will say to them. Look at verse 22 again and we'll read it together. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons? And perform many miracles. And I will declare to them. I never knew you. Depart from me. You who practice lawlessness. On that day. On the day of Jesus' coming. On the day of judgment. Where both Peter and Paul said. That day will come as a thief in the night. On that day. I want to ask you really briefly a quick question. Should we not take heed to this? Should we not listen to this? Should we block our ears? Because we're right. We're okay. Should we not look forward for the return? Should we not understand who on earth is Jesus talking to here? Jesus says that his return in Matthew 25-31 to where all the nations will be gathered together to him. As he is a faithful, loving shepherd, he will separate the sheep from the goats. Should this not concern us? Jesus will separate the sheep from the goat and he will usher all the sheep on that day into the millennial kingdom come blessed of my father inherit the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the world what a what a god what an offer what an invitation but he says to the goats these are goats guys these are goats Who come to Jesus and call him Lord? They are not Christians who lost their salvation. They were goats pretending to be sheep. And he says to the goats, On that day, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire. And let me tell you something. If you read the scriptures carefully and speak unto to Brother Wares and, and Mark last night, those who hear the gospel and still pretend and play hypocrites, week in and week out, just say it's okay, I'm okay, I'm a Christian, they will suffer a greater condemnation for the rejection of the truth. These words mean absolutely nothing to God unless you are covered by the blood of the Lamb, unless His righteousness has been imputed to you, unless you have surrendered your life to Christ, unless you have a new nature, unless you have new passions and new desires, unless you have new directions and new paths, and the gate to heaven is Christ, and along the way you will suffer even death for Him, your words will send you straight to hell. Because they mean nothing. Shouldn't we be concerned about this? This is not a fairy tale. I cannot think of greater horrifying words from our Lord Jesus Christ who warns us. And greater mercy from Him. This is a merciful God. You don't want to die and then then tell Him, look at me. You'll want to get right with God today, not tomorrow. You don't wait. You don't wait when you hear God. You don't tell Jesus, I'll give my life to you when I'm ready. You give your life to Him when you meet Him face to face in His Word. When you hear it, week in and week out. Don't go home and play the hypocrite. And do everything else when you go home. And Christ is only on your lips on Sundays. Perhaps Tuesday when you come to Bible studies. Because you know that's what Christians do. But your life does not match what you say. On that day. He says many will come to me. And I will, I will declare to them. Get away from me. You who practice lawlessness. Lawlessness. It is a lifestyle of denying the power of God in your life and you are living a sinful life. You are a Christian only around Christians. But you've got no problem living the same as the world. You practice lawlessness. They know Jesus but they deny Him by their acts. They know Him, but they deny Him in their lives. They know Jesus, but their hearts are far from Him. This is what Jesus is saying. They know Him as Lord. They acknowledge Him as Lord. They call Him Lord. But they continue in a lifestyle of sin, practicing lawlessness. They know Jesus they know who he is. He's is Lord. He's Master, and they can explain it to you even from the Bible. And yet they live as if there is no law in their life. They believe, and they're convinced in their own mind that he is the way and he is the truth. But in their lives, they make their own way in their own truths. They believe that Jesus is king and he will come and he will rule and reign. And they believe that wholeheartedly on a Sunday. But Monday to Saturday you live for the devil and you live in his kingdom. You may know doctrine and have compelling arguments but your heart is not moved for Christ, Do you understand that? Your heart is not moved to live for Christ. At best, you have goosebumps and you get moved and go, Oh, Ralph was crying. What a great sermon. I don't care about that. May God burn my tears to hell. That you will hear Him. And not only Him. And then perhaps you get, a, you get a Christian who's truly saved and he comes up to you and he says, I'm concerned for you, brother or sister. I don't know, are you okay? Your life doesn't seem to match your profession. They put their guards up and they call you a legalist. Who are you to judge me? Jesus knows my heart. But I beg of you not to leave that just there as if somehow Jesus is talking to someone else. As if somehow Saving Grace Bible Church, doctrinally driven and Christ driven, cannot have people like that here. God forbid. God forbid. We don't want to know Christ only on our lips. We want to know Christ in our hearts. And the per- problem with church goers, they never think it's about themselves. They never think it's about maybe it's me. We ought to be a little bit like the disciples of Christ. When Jesus said, One of you will actually is the devil, he is going to betray me. They did not say, Is it him? Is it her? Is it the other guy? Are you talking about someone outside, Jesus? They did not. We should humble ourselves and say, is it I, Lord? Is it I? Are you speaking to me today? Could I be the one who calls you Lord? And if I look at my life, it does not match with what I'm professing. Could it be you? Don't look at the person next to you. Jesus had in mind every single individual who were hearing him. He was, he was not talking about those who weren't with him. And right now, this morning, I'm not talking to anyone outside who cannot hear me. But only to those who are hearing the word of God. That would deeply grieve the disciples when they said, Is it I? That's how we should be. He said, I. He's addressing all the crowds and we are addressing you this morning. Don't think that right here this message is for your unbelieving spouse or husband who's at home fixing mowing the lawn or your unbelieving child who's rebellious and has rejected God who doesn't want to come to church or your neighbor who believes in Santa Claus. This message is for you. And, and it needs to be examined. Because a lot of people when they hear messages like this, it is not me that needs to hear this message, Ralph. It is someone else. You should bring this message and maybe do what Jesus did and do a street ministry message. No. Jesus was talking to people who were following Him and claimed Him as Lord at that time. He's talking to us those who follow him and then he says on that day i will declare to them i never knew you all the profession in the world from countless professed christian will not save one of them if jesus says i never knew you you can say you know jesus but unless you are born of Christ." Unless there is a deep relationship with Christ. By the way, the word there in Greek, knew you, speaks of a relational knowing as if in a marriage. Unless you are married in complete union to Christ, you do not belong to Christ. I briefly did this with the youth this week to understand what it means to give your whole life completely to Jesus. And I said, if I only said to my wife at the marriage time, I will give myself 90% to you, will she have married me? The answer is no. I will give 98% to you, but just give me 2% for someone else. She will say, no, listen, my beloved wife, I'm about to marry you. You have to give me 0.2% 0.2% for someone else. And the answer of a sinful woman like my wife, who's been redeemed by God, let me just add that too. she said, no, I would not have married you on that day. This talks about knowing Christ in a deep relational way when you have completely surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. Turn to Luke for a minute. And I want to I just expound on what Jesus means when he says, get away from me. Luke 13, please. Just turn to Luke 13 from, from verse 24. Jesus says, Luke 13 to 34. Let's understand what Jesus is saying to those who will come to him. He says, strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I will tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, you begin to stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you are from. Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence. Do you see that? And you taught us in our streets. Do you see how close these people were to Christ? And he says, I will tell you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evildoers, in a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourself will be thrown out. This is frightening. We want to be sure that we will stand right before God. There is no greater terror than to fall into the hands of God and not be right with Him. These people's assessment was that they relied on their words, not the word of life. They, they relied on their works, not on the works of Christ. They, they relied on their theology, not theocentric lives. And Jesus says, get away from me. This is scary. You must give your life to God. You must surrender your life to God. Now that brings me to a a bit of an application. I don't even know what time it is. Don't tell me. If there's no windows, you can't fall out. I think you you know the, the scripture guys, yeah? All right. Let me leave you and seeing the grace of God. Because Jesus is not given this message for one reason only. That you may repent. The message of Christ is good news. <laughs> it's not bad news. The bad news is, is when you think you have the good news. When you don't actually possess it. Look at verse 21 again. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he's the one who enters the kingdom of heaven. The one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. The one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Do you see the reason why those who would come to him were denied access to the kingdom? The people only said, Lord, Lord, but they never did the will of the Father. (laughs) They never walked in obedience. There was never a true heart conversion. They said, we follow you, but we're not going to commit to you. I, I love you, Jesus, but you know, there are other things I need to do first. You know, let me go and bury my father, build a field, feed the cows. Turn to John. Turn to the Gospel of John for a minute. Let me just uh, explain this to you a little bit more. What is the will? What is the will of Jesus and what is supposed to be your will? John 6, please. And we can begin by winding this down. It's easy to say, we know Jesus. Especially if you come to... Praise God to a Bible believing church who loves to expound the Word of God, and it's very easy to understand it here at Saving Grace Bible Church. I really truly believe that. I believe that you can really know wonderful truth from here. I'm thankful so much for the growth that God is growing in our brother, Will Sam. That weekend, faithfully, he comes and faithfully preaches the Word of God. But that's all he's doing, and that's all I'm doing. Is preaching and teaching and pleading. Here's turn to six from verse thirty-seven, and listen to what Jesus says. Chapter six thirty-seven: All that the Father gives me will come to me. Do you see that? You know, some of you don't understand election yet, but this is God saying, those He has elected to be saved. They will be saved and they will come. They will surrender their lives to God and they will have a new heart and they will have a new change. And then he says, and the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. Isn't it wonderful? (laughs) He will not cast you out. He invites you to come and your salvation is sealed because God is the one who elects. With His gracious love, I will not cast you out. What's the comparison? To those who are not His, I will cast you out into hell. But to those who were His and come to Him in repentance, I will never cast you out. That's the grace of God. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will Of him who sent me. What is the will of Jesus that the Father sent him to do? This is the will of him who sent me. That all that he has given me. How many? All. I shall lose nothing but raise them up in the last days. What a wonderful, wonderful gospel presentation by the Lord. Everyone who comes to me, I will not cast out And I am going to raise them up. And I will not lose any. The dependence of salvation is not on self. It is on Christ. What is the will that you're meant to do? You're meant to believe in everything that the Son has done. The will... That you're meant to believe in is the will of the Father that He handed over to Christ. You're meant to believe what Jesus has done and you're meant to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. You're meant to behold Him, observe Him, look at Him as your most precious possession and know Him truthfully, biblically, deeply and emotionally with all of your heart. You must surrender your life to God from your sins. But you say, didn't they believe these things? Didn't these guys also believe these things? If you asked them while they were on earth, do you believe that Jesus is divine? These people who faced Jesus would have said yes. Yes to all your questions. The problem is they acknowledged Christ, but they never surrendered their life to Him. They acknowledged Him, but never trusted Him to be their personal Lord and Savior. They acknowledged Him that He was a Savior, but not theirs. They acknowledged themselves as sinners, but they were saved by their own self-righteousness. You say, how, how do I know? How, how do I know, Ralph? Well, do you know that you're a sinner before God? You're a depraved sinner. You are complete in your sins, depraved. Not, you're, not just, you're not just 30% good as my son's school likes to teach him, and the rest Jesus has to fix. You're 100% undone. You've got absolutely. No hope, as we've seen it, even in your own works, to ever enter into the kingdom of God. You need to come to Jesus, as Jesus said at the beginning of this sermon, begging Him to save you. How do I know if I'm saved? Here's how you can tell. Do you love Jesus Christ? Now, what I mean by love is not, I love Jesus. But you know what? For the rest of the week I prostitute myself to every idol there is. Cuz you try to do that with your own wife. I love you, but I'll be back on Sunday. And for the other days you live with someone else. That is not what love means. It means you're completely giving your life to that love. And it will be manifested in your life. Is your commitment to Christ like the jealousy of commitment between husband and wife. Do you love him, for who he is, or do you just like the notion of Jesus? I just I like Jesus. You know, Jesus is not that unlikable. He's likable. Won't crowds following Jesus? They, they they didn't follow Jesus because he was unlikable. It was obviously something about him that they liked. Whether the miracles and the feeding and all the rest of it, there was something there. But not all of them went into the kingdom of heaven. Have you then surrendered your life to Christ and said, Lord, here I am. Take over my life. What will happen to you if you do that? Your desires will change. Your desires will change for Christ. Your selfish life will become selfless for Christ. Your life will change because of Christ. Your thinking will begin to be like Christ. Your attitude will become like Christ. Your speech will develop to be like Christ. You will have a new heart and new desires and new passions and new affections and new emotions. Everything is new for Christ. And for him alone. But I want to ask you then if Jesus were to look at you right now, what will you say to him? What will you say to him? I'm gonna enter into your kingdom because of what? So it's only in your name, but let me remind you they said exactly the same thing. If your life is not changed then you haven't met christ yet you know him you respect him you can even say you love him from a distance if you're not moved to holy living if you're not moved by his word to live a life for him you have not met him yet you know of him in your head your heart is still in need of change. Jesus says at the end of this sermon, verse twenty four, therefore, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine, not just what I said, but the whole sermon that Jesus preached. And what does he do? He acts up on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. You can't just hear the words of God and not act, and not move, and not be moved. Let me quickly sh- show you, from, and then we'll finish here. And I'll give you a quick application for you, brothers and sisters. Matthew, Twenty-five, just to show you on that day what Christians will actually say to Jesus in comparison what these guys will say. Matthew 25 from verse 35, 34 listen to this. Then the king will say to those on the right come once again inviting them to the, to the eternal kingdom to the millennial reign You who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom, prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Listen to what Jesus says. Pay attention to what a believer would do in their lives. Okay, Just some of the stuff that Jesus says. I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in naked and you clothed me i was sick and you visited me i was in prison and you came to me but then the righteous will say lord when do we see you hungry and feed you and thirsty and give you something to drink and when do we see you a stranger invite you in or naked and clothe you when do we see you sick in prison and come to you and the king will answer and say to them truly i say to you to the extent you did it to one of these my brother's even to the least of them you did it to me this is a life living for christ and listen to the other guys and listen to what they would say he will say to them depart from me accursed ones into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels he says the same thing to them i was hungry but you gave me nothing to eat i was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink i was a stranger and you did not invite me Naked, and you did not clothe me, sick in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they themselves will also answer the Lord. Did we, when, Lord, when did we see you hungry? When, when did we see you thirsty, or a stranger, or sick, or in prison, and did not take care of you? They had absolutely no idea what Jesus was saying. Why? Because in their lives, all they cared about was themselves. There was no true nature, no true conversion. They said, Lord, Lord. They claimed him to be Lord. But in their lives, they lived like the devils. And they will go where the devil and the angels are. He will answer, truly, truly I say say to you, to the extent you did not do it to the least of these, you did not do it to me, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, for those of you who have met Christ, please do not water down the gospel. Jesus did not. Let's tell people for what the gospel is. I want to encourage you to preach. But for those of you, let's understand. No matter how much good works you think you can do, It's only by grace that we are saved through faith and not of ourselves. But it is a gift of God, not a result of works. But those works come as a result of saving faith. I beg of you, don't think of anyone else outside of these walls. And think of yourself how God has challenged you, encouraged you, rebuked you, moved you to preach the gospel more. Or perhaps really to acknowledge that you're not a Christian. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for for your word. For your word is alive and active and sharper than any two edged sword. And I pray, Father, uh, that your word fell on good soil, Lord, on good ground, Lord, that it will bring forth fruit, fruit of righteousness, a fruit of repentance. Lord, that we will not become hypocrites and be complacent in our seats, week in, week out, thinking that we are Christians, where indeed, Father, the rest of the week we live, Lord God, in the kingdom of darkness. There is no desire for the things of God only to make us feel good, only to f- to tick in the box. We read the Bibles only as, a, as just a, a thing that Christians are supposed to do. And yet we're not moved from a heart of worship and thankfulness to God. But Father, we thank you. We thank you that through this, we have seen the the grace of Jesus. That he will warn us, Lord God, that his very day, our salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone. But Father, as we said many times, it does not come alone. It comes with all the wonders of God the fruit of love and peace and joy, and a life, Lord, of walking righteously and holy, in proclamation of the gospel. So thank you, Father. May you go before us even this day as we worship you for the rest of the day in fellowship, Lord.